0: Welcome back to the Physio Foundations podcast for another week. So this week on Physio Foundations is part two of my conversation with physiotherapist, triathlete and physio educator, Dr. Sarah Ward. And this week we're gonna go into the physio education side of things. We've talked about clinical practice and the journey towards research and informing um, research with um, clinical experience with Sarah last year, and last episode, not last year. And now we're gonna talk about physio education. So, Sarah, welcome back to Physio Foundations Reload, Part <laughs> Two, Round Two.
1: Excellent. Thank you for having me back.
0: So um, let's pick up where we left off. So in the last mm-hmm. episode, we were talking about your, I guess, um, your journey, transition, the way you really developed a career mm-hmm. from from the, the day you graduated undergraduate um, physiotherapy, and and how you got into your, your PhD. And then my last question was, so how do you apply? everything you learned in your PhD to clinical practice, let's ask that same question. How do you apply what you've learned so far in your career to your teaching? And um, in fact, before you answer that, tell us about your teaching. So where are you a physio educator?
1: Oh, that's probably the most sensible place to start. Yes, let's go back Um, a step. (laughs) Uh, I am at currently uh, the University of Auckland, um, which is in New Zealand. Um, your western eastern Isle, depending on the joke that you run Um, it's a new program we just started it this year so we're not a traditional physiotherapy school in New Zealand Uh, in fact we're not actually a physiotherapy school we're housed within the department of exercise sciences Uh, so we sit alongside the master of clinical exercise physiology and our program is called the Master of Physiotherapy Practice. And it's the first graduate entry master's uh, for physiotherapy in New Zealand.
0: So you've done undergrad yourself and then you're teaching into the, I guess the newer model, the grad entry with mm. exercise science and you've got an exercise science background in your yes. master's and PhD. So yeah, that suits you.
1: It does. And the, the most, yeah, the most hilarious part is actually when I did my my postgrad diploma I actually did it in the department I'm now teaching in, so there's some good familiar faces.
0: You've been around um, the world, literally. Yes, You're back in. I that. literally,
1: when we spoke about coming full circle in terms of clinical practice last time, we've now come full circle in terms of geographic location as well.
0: What about that's so good? What about a bit of an overview? You started on talking about the differences between um, you know undergrad and the, the postgrad model. So,
1: yeah, that's,
0: that's the first in New Zealand first grade entry it is, physio yeah. course. What other courses are there?
1: Traditionally for us, it's the Bachelor of Physiotherapy at Otago or the Bachelor of Health Science in Physiotherapy through AUT University, which is just on the North Shore of Auckland.
0: Okay.
1: Um, for a long time, that was the only two physio schools in the country, uh, both four-year programs. And then in 2018, I might get it wrong, WinTech down in Hamilton started their Bachelor of Physiotherapy program because we had a a massive need for physiotherapists in New Zealand.
0: Yeah, that was driven by workforce need. Yeah,
1: Yeah, but also uh, developing physiotherapists for the community that they are in as well. So rural Mm. communities, Maori and Pacifica communities is really important, particularly through the Waikato. Um, And so they've just graduated their first cohort through that program. And then, I mean, it's still an in-demand profession here, but we've also got grads coming out of, sports science and biomedical science and health science programs and we want to be physios because this is the situation i was in and you're only faced with an option of going back and doing another bachelor's degree so another three or four years at Mm. university which is a substantial cost um so we followed the australian model and brought in the first graduate entry program so for us here at the university of auckland it's a two-year program um very full on, uh, mm. with slightly longer semesters to try and account for the the condensed content.
0: Not the trimester um, model, but the, the no. long semesters.
1: Yeah, yeah. long semesters. Uh, they're about 13 to 14 weeks. So a few extra weeks tacked onto each semester. Um and then if you imagine your undergraduate curriculum and you rip out the physiology, like the basic physiology, the basic anatomy, the basic neuroanatomy, etc. And whatever you're left with, this, the physio-specific stuff, that's what's left in a GEM program. Mm.
0: Mm. So despite taking things out and having prerequisites and assumed knowledge, it mm. doesn't mean you can recall that anatomy off the top of your head no. when you go to apply it, does it? And, and exactly. on top of that, you're very busy when you're in it.
1: Exactly. A- and you know, these students did anatomy in their first year of the undergraduate program when this program didn't exist. So there's no reason... Or incentive to retain that knowledge. So that was a, a very quick learning for me of okay, I can't assume that people have retained the knowledge. Yes, they've got the prerequisite, but they haven't retained it. So it's embedding or re embedding mm. those key, you know, functional anatomy or pathoanatomy into the lectures as well, or, or, you know, guiding them through revision rather than just saying, yeah, have an entire anatomy curriculum revised.
0: It's <laughs> the perfect opportunity to go straight for the jugular for my main question, the, yes. the, the main question of this podcast.
1: Fire away. I
0: always, I always ask. So then, and this is particularly relevant if you've got a shorter course and you you, you go for those um, physio-specific skills and knowledge. So what, what, what in your opinion, with your biases and your background and, and everything you do, what are the most important foundational skills and knowledge for a physio? that you can't go to work without. (laughs) And this is always gets a laugh because it's such a broad question. You could answer it any way you want. Anatomy. Anatomy. Anatomy Anatomy knowledge. You're talking to my biases. Oh, why? Why isn't, so why is anatomy knowledge so important?
1: I I think if you don't know the human body, the diagnostic part becomes really hard Mm. um, because you, you've got nothing to relate it back to, you know, what actually, maybe we call it the, the pathoanatomy. So, what mm. actually happens when you tear a ligament? What actually happens when you have a stroke? You know, what's the anatomical consequence, but what's maybe the physiological consequence too? Mm. And so, actually having that foundational knowledge, but then integrating it properly into the more physio-specific stuff. So then, layering the context on appropriately, I think yeah. is probably that's my big learning from this year around. Yeah, I could, I could give you, you know, communication is really important. Empathy is really important. But if you don't have that knowledge, it doesn't matter how empathetic you are.
0: <laughs> Foundational knowledge. Tell me more about anatomy. So, path, so pathoanatomy you mentioned. So the intersection between pathology, anatomy, applied anatomy. Yeah. Um, so applying physiology um, and applying to you know, all your clinical tests and skills and diagnoses and imaging and everything, having mm. that foundation of anatomy as a, uh, I guess, a, a foundation, a foundation <laughs> of anatomy yeah. as a foundation. I ran out of things to say um, for the lack of a better way. I,
1: I don't think there's a better way to put it. To be fair, I just, I just think it's it's literally the foundation of our profession. There we go. It's, I feel like we have a bingo on this. How many times can Sarah and Luke say foundation in a single conversation?
0: We just keep going. Yeah. So tell me, let's let's go and talk about experiences now. Mm. So that's, um, that's our ideals and the things we really value. And I guess your teaching philosophy comes from what your background and your, you know, big focus on anatomy. And of course you teach other aspects of, of the, um, of the units in the course. Um, so the last couple of years were really disrupted in Australia Mm -hmm. by COVID-19 pandemic related lockdowns. And, um, we had more, I guess you had border closures for New Zealand. We had lots of population level lockdowns you're locked in a sort of radius of five kilometers at times it's very disruptive so it disrupted everyone including education lots of things went online for a certain period And yeah. um, what was it like in new zealand over the ditch
1: oh so it's it's been an experience um i would say your experiences would depend on what part of new zealand you were in so when covid first landed in new zealand i was actually in the south island back at otago as a researcher. Um, so we went through the initial 2020 lockdown, um, the seven week one sort of through March through to June, 2020. Mm-hmm. And so our, our reaction there was to just push all the clinical and practical learning into semester two and just cover all the theoretical stuff um, for our second and third year undergrad students for our fourth years who were on placement. Uh, they learned telehealth. So they were still able to get some clinical hours and, um, in the School of Physioclinics, so delivering telehealth. Um, was there
0: more telehealth than they would have? Well, I guess that's a yes, isn't it? Because they did, oh, they did more they of it. But, but um, was that a good thing, I guess is what I'm asking. Was, it, was there benefits so. there that perhaps it, it was unexpected, unwanted at the time, but the telehealth so. is a really important thing for people in rural, remote, rural and remote areas, for example? Yeah. I
1: think it's always been bubbling away right but we never had that impetus to really bring right. it to the forefront in physio mm. and it really just forced our hand and going, okay right it's now or never um and so there's everyone's had to to use it at some point in the last two or three years mm. but i think it's given options now so that your patients in the south island can now access the specialists in auckland or the specialist mm. in Wellington or Christchurch without having to physically go see them. Um, I was a, a, I experienced that myself as a patient of being able to have a Zoom conversation with specialists in Auckland or Queenstown from home in Dunedin, which mm. was phenomenal because it saved, you know, a two-hour flight or a three-hour drive to go see them. So I think it's been a really good progress for the profession, but also a really good experience for the students to have something a bit different Um, The Auckland students, very different kettle of fish because Auckland has been sort of the epicentre for COVID in New Zealand through the last three years. So it's been most disruptive for Auckland-based university students across the universities. Um, This year has had unique challenges, I would say, because the New Zealand approach changed slightly. Um, So we had uh, a risk assessment and that we decided based on the last two years of experience that it was really important to have those clinical sessions so the labs you know where you learned your clinical skills mm. as face to face sessions um trying to teach that stuff over zoom really freaking difficult lectures Fine, cover the theoretical content in the lectures to minimize, sorry, in Zoom lectures, minimize the risk so that you could have those face to face sessions. We created clinical bubbles with our students. Uh, So they would form groups of three. And that was only three individuals they could interact with for most of the semester. Um, Back in
0: 2020, we're talking about in the peak. Oh, oh, this was this year as well. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 So that was our strategy this year in Auckland. Clinical bubbles, masks. They had in terms mm-hmm. of equipment. Obviously, we share equipment a lot, right? And mm-hmm. lab, we created a box of all the necessary equipment, including hand sanitizer and towels and everything for that group. And it was labeled, so no one else touched it. Um, it was really hard as a, 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 a an educator mm-hmm. because um, my going back to the philosophies, I, I circulate, you know, and you linger and you interact with the group.
0: You also yeah. encourage students to do that and see as yeah. many different, work with as many different people as yeah, possible exactly. for many reasons. Yeah,
1: Right. You interact with different body shapes and the different genders because it's, it feels different. Right. Mm. And so that was taken away from us because I, if for risk reasons, it was part of our risk plan to not circulate between the groups. So it was like, well, how do you demonstrate a skill to the class for them to then learn and practice in those groups? And that was really hard. And I still don't think I got it right in that, that semester. Um, but I think we're all sort of learning as we went.
0: <laughs> but there's, You've hit on a few interesting points there because it's, we talked about the disruptions mm. and it being a negative, overall negative thing of disruption, but having having that you uh not necessarily just always being in a group of three but being more strict with hand washing hygiene um really reflecting what's happening the realities of what's happening in the health services because we could have a big open forum and everything's open we're pretending there's no pandemic the whole time Mm. outside of a hospital and in the hospital it's chaos the health systems are under enormous stress and students are going to go into that system as well so having a um it's reflect realities a little bit at least. Do you have any, do you do any uh, simulation with your students? I talked to Narelle Dalwood on the podcast. That must be six months ago now about a, a simulation program. Do you do anything like uh, similar to that?
1: Uh, we're trying to set one up. Oh, uh, cool. we, we literally had the emails flying today um, about sort of what we want in that space yeah. um, to create at least a hospital simulation space. Mm. Uh, we've got this, the space within the department to already recreate sort of, private practice musculoskeletal simulations which is essentially how I teach that element of it anyway but to be able to create hospital simulations I think is our our next plan for to introduce next year Um, Mm. it's good
0: for clinical educators and clinicians and and people in general future students even to sort of hear us talking about this stuff it's not a secret what we're doing there it's not some secret society of academia in the ivory tower we're just normal people working our butts off and trying to the best possible education sometimes yeah. under really difficult circumstances.
1: Yeah. And, and you've um, literally just summed up the way I teach is that I just try and normalize it. I'm like, I'm, I make mistakes. I might have different clinical reasoning to you based on different experiences. Right. Mm. Um, and just try to make the learning relatable to mm. them. Um, so that to try and keep that engagement. Cause I think if we think about the disruptions and how difficult it's been, it's student engagement has been real hard, particularly on Zoom. Mm. You it's know, hard, It's
0: actually, we, we don't want to pick on students because you go no. to a, a faculty meeting or, or you get something outside the university and you'll go in there with professionals and there's a lot of cameras that are turned off and it's, it's hard to engage. And I know p- people work on their own work on Zoom and everything. Yep. It's got its benefits that sometimes you might input to something and you might be able to do two things at once, but and you might save yourself an hour of driving to a meeting that you just needed to input into for five minutes. I get that, but to sit there for two hours on something that, that's an online tutorial, I, I get it. I get it. I it's got sick of my hard own hard voice. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> when like you talk that. to people, it's it's just really I'm, it's just really hard to talk to a group of people and the cameras off. Fine, but but also no one wants to unmute and talk, especially when you're young.
1: Yeah, and like, it changes the way. I- I taught as well. I'm a I'm a wanderer, even in a seminar. You know, you engage and well you you try to create engagement opportunities. Mm. But that that totally changes on Zoom where you yourself are sitting. And yeah, and it's just it just creates less opportunities for. In engagement but like casual engagement rather than you like calling out a student um, which I know as a student terrifies me mm. <laughs> like I don't I don't like operating like that and I found certainly it became more didactic learning too yeah, it's different bring knowledge to you um, whereas I think physio can certainly lend itself to, to some really cool different learning opportunities but it was difficult with COVID, but hopefully we can move more into those in the next few years um, and at least show our students that it can be a really cool learning experience and that learning can be fun and engaging again.
0: Yeah, keep the good bits of the online learning and and whatever has to be done face-to-face, make sure that happens in the safest way.
1: People Mm. still have injuries where they can't physically attend class. So I think it's been good to give us that sort of swift kick up to go, actually, we do need to be more accessible um, at, for students that can't make it into class, but we also need to make sure that we're we're meeting the requirements of our profession as well and building those clinical competencies, which really is best done face-to-face.
0: You see, everyone, we do think about what we're doing and why we're doing it, and we do care.
1: <laughs> yeah, we do, we do. We really We have the students at the forefront of certainly our planning and that we're really trying. It's just we're
0: hamstrung as well at certain points, right? Mm. One of the many reasons for doing this podcast for me is just communication connection between different camps of people, artificially separated. For example, students, educators, clinical educators, clinicians, and researchers. We yeah. Look at you. This is the whole point. You do yep. all of that stuff. Yep. You are studying anything as well, or you, you're done. You've reached PhD, <laughs> You've, that was your retirement plan, you said in the first episode. <laughs> Yep.
1: I might be studying again. Yeah. Well, so during,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, during might, my
1: don't. during twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, my own research was so disrupted by COVID because you know no winter sport meant no knee injuries, which meant no elective surgery uh, and no ACL mm. patients to study. Uh, so I was like, well, what? How can I change my research to to fit this? So I started studying applied statistics.
0: Yeah, well, you'll be very popular.
1: I love it. And so it's, it gives me opportunities to basically pandemic-proof mm. my, my research, but also ensure that my research is moving as the profession moves into sort of more data-driven approaches. Mm. Um, and then I started dabbling in a little bit of sort of post-professional specialisation as I went back into the clinic. I was like, well, let's just make sure that my clinical skills are also moving, particularly if I'm educating,
0: right? Mm. Yeah, that's it. You're not just some stale academic who trained 30 years ago as this <laughs> stereotype goes. Hey, the people I know who work in academia who trained 30 years ago are just brilliant. They, and they're doing so many ongoing education. I, don't, I haven't really, don't really know anyone that fits that stereotype. But
1: No, not in physio. I think most people uh, recognize it's a really dynamic profession mm. um, and engage in learning opportunities to, to upskill. But it was probably the biggest thing I touched on in my interview. With Auckland last year was that I think to be a, a good clinical educator or a good physiotherapy educator, I think you need to be a good physiotherapist. Mm. Um, and I think to avoid that sta- that apparent staleness is to to practice what you preach. Mm. Uh, I, at yeah. the same
0: time, though, being an educator is on its being a, a really good clinician doesn't make you a good educator. So you've been you know, continually training in education skills, working with people like Mixtor who I work with, and others who have got masters of education, as yeah. well as PhDs, and they teach you so much about the skills of of educating. So it's yeah. a you know, ask a school teacher they've done yeah. a ma- they've done a masters to do that. It's a skill.
1: Oh, absolutely! Like it, just because we have a PhD, it doesn't actually mean we're trained in adult pedagogy right right? we we don't get taught how to talk to teach um you kind of just follow along mentors or you take bits and pieces from what's made a good educator or what was a good experience for me as a student and like pick that bit and then you pick that bit from someone else and you try and like mold it into something like a frankenstein (laughs) and hopefully that that frankenstein works
0: yeah exactly Mm -hmm. you know what time it is time Time to finish I've got to pick up the kids. Oh, we're we're going to ca- let's catch up again. Let's do it again.
1: Oh yeah, this I feel like we've about- got a lot to unpack.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, I say that because we've. I feel like we've just we've got about three or four different episodes we could do right now. <laughs> we can't though because we've got things to do, and you've got a triathlon to go and rest up and do tomorrow. Good luck with that.
1: Thank you.
0: Um, get on Twitter. And you can follow Sarah. and You can see how she goes, and we'll, I'll put all the um, I'll put your 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 Twitter handle in the show notes and as yeah. well as some information about you, but thank you very oh, much for oh, two episodes there of some, that's a really interesting conversation. It's really so good to catch up with you again and, and hear what you've been up to and get your perspectives on New Zealand physiotherapy education and your research. So good. Thank you,
1: thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation. And uh, yeah, if anybody wants to reach out, have a discussion about New Zealand, physio or just knees or triathlon yeah happy to have a yarn as you can tell
0: all of the above (laughs) yeah thanks sarah well let's leave it there so until next time this is sarah ward and luke perriton wishing you all the very best with your studying professional development and lifelong learning